What's going on, people, people? This is Christian Ishkumar, and I'm a producer for the show you're tuning into, From a People Perspective. This is a podcast about fascinating people, how they got to where they are, and where they're going, all from the lens of HR, recruitment, and operations. This show is hosted by Martin Hawk. Before getting started with today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. Thanks to Wealth Simple for Work, providing group RRSP and benefit programs for employers to offer. Spring Law, providing virtual support for your smallest and largest employment law issues. Humi, a beautiful and easy to use HRIS platform. And the Leadership Agency, providing award-winning recruitment for startups using innovative approaches. We've got a great episode ahead of us and hope you enjoy. Today, I'm chatting with Shannon Ogborn, probably the most recruitery person I've had on the podcast. And what I mean by that is most people I end up chatting with find themselves in recruitment by accident, you know, some way through throughout their career. Uh, but not many of them start out from the very beginning. And that kind of looks like what, what you've done, Shannon, which is really cool. You basically jumped into it head on straight away. And, and not only that, but you started out in stumble upon, which for OG internet people is also really cool. So, um, uh, you know, I suppose I have a bunch of questions there, but, <laughs> um, I'd love to, uh, like dive in. And then you went over to hired and over to woo and Google. And, and finally you've, you've landed at Ashby, which is from my perspective, and I haven't even had the chance to like use the tool yet, but I'm so excited to get an opportunity to use it. Um, because it definitely seems like what you're building over there is like the next level and like the thing that all recruiters and talent acquisition people wish their ATSs did. So welcome to the show, Shannon. Thanks for making time. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to start off with, I don't know if you saw this in the community yesterday, but uh, I just had like this moment of clarity where I'm like, why do we call it ATSs? Like, it should be a candidate tracking system. Like, why is, it's not applicants. Like, half of what we do, if not more, is is outbound and so it it should be just like an HTS, like a human tracking experience, but that's kind of creepy. But like, uh, like, yeah. So I guess what's what's your take on that? Yes, I did see that. And I in my mind, I was kind of like, ding. Um, yes, that <laughs> makes total sense, especially like when I was working for Google and recruiting, we were doing so much outreach to people who were already in the system because so many people were already in the system that weren't applicants. They were potential candidates that we were reaching out to and, and trying to engage in things like that, more kind of like CRME. Um, I guess uh, where the applicant tracking verbiage probably comes into play is that that's how you're actually managing the processes. But I, I definitely agree to a certain degree that you're tracking more than applicants. You're also tracking potential candidates and you're just you're nurturing humans, people, like you said. But yes, I think calling it a human tracking system is probably uh, 
would probably be unsavory. So maybe we should revisit <laughs> the applicant tracking system for for something more. I don't know. I find that there can be a lot of dehumanizing in the recruiting process on on kind of both sides. Um, so I feel like any way to humanize that would 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 be a, a good change. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, yeah, candidate tracking experience was the thing that came to my mind. And I think rather than like customer relationship management tool or CRM or whatever, client retention management, or I was thinking maybe like just relationship management tool, like an RMT or something. Um, so who knows? Yeah. Maybe, maybe this, this will spark a, a change. Who knows? We'll see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, <laughs> before we dive into your career and, and what you're up to right now and, and all that fun stuff, uh, wanted to just jump into just some, you know, get to know yous, right? Um, so if for some reason, you know, all music was disappearing from the face of the earth, but you had the ability to preserve one musical artist's mm-hmm. work, who's, who is that? Which band, which person? Yes. Um, I've never thought <laughs> about this question before, but I'm just going to go with the first answer that came to mind. Um, all of the music, not all of it, a lot of the music that I listen to is music that I listened to when I was like in grade school, middle school. Not that I haven't Same. evolved, but I still, there's one, a nostalgia feeling, but two, there's just like, I just feel like it's so good. Blink-182 was immediately the first one that came to mind. I feel like now I've we've we've found a good uh, connection point here. I just, at the time, you know, when this music comes out and you're younger, like, you don't know what the hell they're saying. Like, no. that you're not listening to the lyrics deeply or you don't understand the lyrics deeply. You haven't really gone through the what they're talking about. Then as you get older, you evaluate the lyrics and you're like man that's like pretty spot on so i i <laughs> and i just i really love punk pop so i would i just think they're absolute blink 182 absolute uh worldwide treasures i would that that's who i would be keeping amazing amazing <laughs> i that was they were my first concert like my first proper concert they came to toronto and we have this like outdoor venue and it was awesome. I had a blast and I just, I feel like they came to Toronto recently and like everybody in this city was like listening or like humming like Blink-182 yeah. tune, tunes. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like just like a nice little, and to your point, like some of the stuff that they were singing about was spot on and just completely went over my head. And I'm like, I just like this song, right? Yeah. Exactly. hundred percent. Um. Cool, cool, cool. Um, all right, another one here. So you've just arrived at your vacation destination. You've put all the luggage away and you're dressed for the day. What's the activity that you're like most excited to get up to? Mm, well, first of all, do I put the luggage away? <laughs> I'm like... Fair, fair. I'm yeah, a, it's an assumption. I'm a, I try to be the type of person who unpacks nicely and whatever, but usually my stuff's just like strewn all over the room. Um, yeah. I I go back and forth between vacations being more adventure vacations and more, you know, beachy vacations. I feel like lately I'm going to more 
to more beachy type vacations, like getting good meals wherever I am, though, that's always the top priority because especially when you're traveling Mm -hmm. abroad, it's just like, or even within, I'm in the US. So within the US, like, you know, you go to Charleston and you're like, where can I get the best, like, where can I get the best barbecue? You know, so you're trying to figure out like, what is the local food and where can I get the best? That's that's an activity that I, I like to jump to first because I feel like it says a lot. Food says a lot about the culture and it's I feel like that's a good way to immerse yourself uh, in when you're when you're traveling. 100%. No, doing doing a proper road trip through the U.S. is definitely on the bucket list of being able to just go from delicious food place to delicious food, like literally just renting the a dream. van. Yeah, like that. That's a must do. It's a hundred percent. Like you don't even yeah. need to leave the U.S. to like have a the wildest culinary experience ever. Like it's so cool. Yeah. Um. All right. Last one here for you. Uh, we talked a bit about it before we started recording here. Um. And it's kind of given me like a new icebreaker question. But like, what? What are? You, what do you work on when you're not doing what we're gonna talk about? Like, do you have any side hustles? And what's your take on them? So for a long time, um, my favorite hobby was watching TV. And <laughs> my husband, would, <laughs> my husband would always be like, "Shannon, watching TV is not a hobby." I'm like, "Relax, speak for yourself." Um, I <laughs> just like love binge watching shows. I have all of these what I call my safety shows, um, which include um, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Uh, New Girl, which I'm currently going back through, Mindy Project, other shows kind of like that that are like good background shows. Um, but right around when COVID hit, we had our first um, our first child, March uh, 14th. So we went into the hospital. Everything was fine, in quotes. Um, then we left and everything was not fine. Everything in Denver was shut down. Couldn't find diapers, couldn't find wives, couldn't find formula, couldn't find anything. Oh it was goodness. wild experience. But, you know, so we're at home all the time and I have this DSLR camera that I've barely picked up, don't know how to use. And through all this, because we were pretty cautious during COVID, I just picked up photography and I, I loved it. My Our first daughter was definitely my muse, lots of pictures of her and, and the dogs. Um, but now I have this uh, side hustle of uh, family photography uh, maternity, newborn, uh, family photos. Um, Belfina Photography is is the name. Uh, you can see find me on Instagram, named after our two uh, two daughters. Um, our first daughter, who we call Bird, and our um, and our second daughter, who we call Fina, uh, short for Elfina. So Belfina was the, the kind of how that evolved, and it's a really great joy to just be able to capture people in their moment with their family in an exciting time so i've really enjoyed that and yeah like many people cool hobbies and and fruitful hobbies to to come out of covid no for sure and and to go from you know watching tv and i would debate that is definitely a hobby (laughs) um but to go from that and then to like 
taking family photos and like at special moments as well as a hard thing. I've got a few friends. My parents mm-hmm. are photographers and like my dad's a landscape photographer. My mom's like more of a portrait human experience yep. kind of person. And like it's a different it's a it's a skill. Like so it's, it'd be a it would be really cool to see some of those shots. And, you know, I'll, I'll ping you to, to make sure that we share the link if you want to. Um, but that's that's really cool. What from what have you learned about yourself through that? A lot of patience and a lot of um, capacity for for growth and really releasing the idea that you have to be really good at something right away. I think mm. people tend to gravitate towards things that they are just really naturally good at. Um, but ultimately you're not really stretching yourself or pushing yourself. I could have, I mean, I was taking some pretty shit pictures when I first started, (laughs) you know, like blurry out of focus, not using the proper two thirds rule, you know, things like that, where you're just, I look back on some of my early pictures and I'm like, Hmm, I mean, they weren't bad. They were definitely better than average and they're definitely better than a, a phone. Um, but they weren't great and so much of it has come down to editing and there's so much like so much details and so much perfection in the margins that it's 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 really a um it's really a practice of patience mostly with with yourself and it's really encouraged me to be able to take a step back and say like okay, like, what is my vision? What am I trying to capture here? Like, what is, Mm. I I hate to say the vibe, but like, (laughs) what is the vibe? Like, what is the vibe of this family? You know, what, what am I trying to, what story am I trying to, what I'm trying to showcase? So um, it's definitely a a practice of, of love and patience, which I'm not the most patient person. So it's been good for me. (laughs) It's a good, it's a good way to like, practice that skill that's cool i've not heard of it that way um yeah no no um it's a it's kind of a good segue into kind of like the beginnings of your journey and love to kind of hear your take on it because i'm sure much like photography and like some of the first pictures you take are probably not great some of my first interviews i'm sure some of your first interviews (laughs) probably didn't like it like oh cool could have done that better like in retrospect and maybe if you could hear the recordings of interviews that you did you know five ten years ago whatever um probably pretty cringeworthy i know mine are um i'd be i'd be so yeah i just like how and and we we're kind of talking about this you know at the beginning as well in terms of like uh you said on like on paper like maybe your story doesn't necessarily look like you've done one particular thing. And I thought Mm -hmm. that was interesting because I always sort of like disagreed. I'm like, no, you're like a true blue recruiter, but you've also been like recruiting adjacent or recruiting operations or like you picked up this really cool project and just ran with it and made it your thing. And what kind of what I was saying is like most people get tapped on the shoulder and you just thrown into this career and you've been working for five years. So I'm just I'd love to like hear how like your initial journey started and and how you got to where you are. Yeah, for sure. So when I was applying to um, jobs towards the end of of towards graduation time, um, my now husband was already in San Francisco, so that's where I was focusing. Um, 
So I also fell into tech kind of by luck. Like I I didn't intend to be like a techie. I wasn't familiar with the space. <laughs> um, but I, you know, like most new grads had applied to jobs all across the board and and I had applied to sales and marketing and I had applied to all these entry-level jobs and the only calls I got back, no joke, were for recruiting. And so I'm thinking like, is this a, like a divine intervention sign, right? Like, is there something about me, my resume, my um, collegiate activities and experience that's really speaking to people um, on the recruiting space? So I interviewed at a few companies. I interviewed, I still feel a little bit salty about this, but I interviewed at one of the bigger <laughs> um, bigger uh, agencies that hires a lot of new grads. And they're like, oh, sorry, we're just... You know, we just had so many qualified applicants and I, I still to this day am like hiss about it. But um, but I ended up landing at StumbleUpon. Um, I had applied there, just saw the job randomly. It was a contract um, recruiting coordinator job. I did my interview and I was like sweating and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm like so nervous. And I was dressed like very professionally in the Zoom video which I didn't know that tech was like so casual. So I just felt like then very overdressed. <laughs> um, but they made me an offer pretty, pretty quickly after that. Um, and I didn't even, I said yes before I even heard the salary. I, I just was like so <laughs> excited to get my first job that I was like, yes. And they were like, well, don't you want to hear like what the compensation is? I was like, well, right. That also, <laughs> but I just, I just, I just was so eager to, I, um, part of what, part of me is that I just like, like, I've always liked school. I've always liked work. I, I, I like live for that sort of thing. Like I always have found it very fulfilling. So I was just Mm. like, I was just ready to get to work like the next day. Um, so that's, that's how I stumbled upon, uh, uh, tech and, and recruiting there. But I, yes, but I, I really saw it as, uh, not that that the 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 universe should dictate what you're doing but i did see it as kind of a sign that there's something valuable within my background and experience that people are seeing Hmm. for recruiting um and so i've i've kind of carried that throughout my career because i think it is you know an important important uh factor there At, at the time it sounds like you didn't see what they were seeing did you end up identifying what that was? Yeah, so I've gotten very so I had my first two jobs um pretty close together. So stumble upon which I was on contract at for about 6 months. They told me unfortunately, you know, we can't hire you as a full-time employee. We don't have the capacity. We don't we don't need a full-time person. Hmm. But like how can we help support you in in finding a new role, which was amazing. Um where I then interviewed a bunch of places, landed it hired, and I had our um, COO at the time. He was like, just your activities at Clemson, where I went to school in South Carolina. Um, I know that this is going to be like, yeah, to a lot of recruiting folks and non-recruiting folks, but he, he was very impressed with my GPA. <laughs> so then I was kind of just glad that it, I had had it on my resume, but um, that was kind of what was initially like, wow, you were so involved and, you know, you did so well in school. 
um, while you were doing all these activities. So that kind of showed like a multifaceted, like you can mm-hmm. multitask these things. Um, at Stumblepon, I honestly, I don't like back to the interview question. Like, I don't, I don't know what exactly they saw in me because I felt like my interview, I was like, oh my God, like, what did I just say? Like, I don't, and you don't have any, you know, it's your first time interviewing. You don't have any concept of um, what's good and what's not good or how to evaluate how well you did. You just are kind of crossing your fingers and hoping like, please, I just hope that I like did well enough to get to the next round or get the offer and hmm. and whatnot. But I think what I've heard pretty consistently throughout my career after I started at Stumbleupon and, and otherwise is that I am just a really hard worker and I'm willing to put in the time. I'm, I have that curiosity level. And so I think that stands out to employers when you're thinking about like, is this person genuinely curious about what we're doing, how we're doing it, how they can improve it, and those sorts of things. So if I had to venture a guess now nine years, (laughs) nine years later, (laughs) um, I would I would think that's it. But um, I feel really grateful for all the people who, even though I I knew that I had put in the work and and was deserving of an opportunity, I just feel very grateful for all the people along the way who who afforded me that opportunity and and saw my potential any any shout outs you want to make to folks like that folks it's literally a question i've got usually so we'll just skip to it now and be like like who who had like a meaningful impact on like your your career so far yeah i've actually i've never gotten the um opportunity to say thank you to uh edie dykstra she was who hired me um at stumble upon and in the process was short, right? Like it is contract mm. job. It's a contract RC job, but I, I do still feel like she took a chance on me and they took a chance on me. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that because getting into tech is, is not super easy. Um, mm-hmm. so, and I know that now, but I didn't know it then. So I guess the ignorance is bliss kind of worked out for me there. <laughs> um, the second person who I've shouted out a couple of times, um, uh, Mehul Patel, he was the CEO, COO of Hired when I interviewed, who then became the CEO, has since um, moved on to a, a different different company, different role. But um, I had a really amazing relationship with him. He really put a lot of faith and trust in me for I was hired as the first recruiting asset at Hired. And he really put in a lot of effort and time to make sure I was set up for success. And so we still have a great um, relationship today. And then um, most recently, um, Benji, our CEO at um, at Ashby, when I was interviewing to leave Google, um, and there's a lot of people in between, by the way, these are more like hiring and hiring capacity. Um, he, but when I was interviewing, he was like, I'm just, you know, this rec ops consultant role, like not 100% sure this is is the right role, but like, we we love you. We'd love to hire you. And I was like, okay, well, let's just talk about like, maybe I can answer some questions, le- alleviate some concerns or whatever. And the thing I appreciate most about him is that he will change his mind if he has this information. So he he was like, you know what? we're going to do it. We're going to, you know, we're going to make you an offer for, for this rec ops consultant job. Um, which is amazing. I was super, super excited again to get more out of IC recruiting and more like 
recruiting adjacent, still working with people, helping them with recruiting capacities. And then most recently, I joined the marketing team, um, our wonderful VP of marketing at Ashby, Harriet. Um, she, I don't know if it's necessarily taking, you know, taking a chance per se, but I think she was really able to see my potential and what I could add to the to the marketing team. So, yeah, lots of people to be grateful for. Those are just kind of the top line um, career uh, career trajectory uh, uh, shout outs there. But there's, I'm sure I'm going to get angry messages about all the all <laughs> the ones I didn't say. But there's, I've had a lot of really great mentors as well. It's just, you know, those are kind of the the hiring the hiring points that I would yeah. highlight. Yeah, no. And it's it's nice that people go through that experience because at some point you realize, okay, it's on me to do the same mm-hmm. for others, right? And then you yeah. get that opportunity. Maybe not early on in your career, but yourself like now with what you're doing and what you're working on, especially just building out the community, like there's mm-hmm. all this opportunity to like pay it forward in small ways and big ways and Yep. You know, all kinds of different ways. So that's yeah. like, that, that's the really fun part, I think. Um, yeah, I would be, I would be remiss to, there's one more that I, I would be remiss not to mention, uh, Heather Doshe. Um, she's a partner now at Signal Fire, but she has been one of my um, career mentors since I worked at Hired, has offered me a lot of great advice along the way. Um, a lot of career trajectory advice too of like, should I apply for this job or how should I go mm. about applying for this? Or I'm trying to pivot. Like, what do you think? And she's also given me a lot of hard truths when I didn't really want to hear. And I was looking for confirmation and I really appreciate all the people in my life who don't give me confirmation, but they give me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. So, um, that's, that's, that's another one there. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I was going through, your LinkedIn profile, as one does. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things I wanted to to just quickly double click on before we kind of get into some of the bigger stuff, but um, I saw that like your time at Woo.io um, was a platform that focused on anonymity. Uh, that mm-hmm. word always kind of gets me, yeah. throws me for a loop. But in terms of like anonymizing a person's profile, that that piece always fascinated me and kind of came up a few times in my own career. I'm just curious to hear your take on that from like a recruiting perspective. Like what did you what did you take away from that experience? What did you learn from that? You know, the 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 aspect of anonymity yeah. is is pretty pretty interesting like with the broader internet but with like recruitment in general i'm curious just to to get your take on it yeah so the major difference between and again this was at the time and i guess it's hard to say what the platforms look like these days um mm. but the biggest difference between what hired was providing as a recruiting platform and what woo was providing as a as a recruiting platform was that hired was looking at active candidates um so you really had to be like an active job seeker to to be approved and and on hired. Um, whereas when I was working at Woo, it was really just like a database of passive candidates who said, "Hey, I'm open." Right? Like mm. as my mom says, 
always be looking like you, you know, keep, <laughs> keep your ear to the ground, like make sure you're in the know of like what opportunities out there exist. And so kind of with that thought in mind, there was a lot of folks who didn't want their names to be exposed. Um, yeah. Because even if they didn't have high intent, they still had an intent to hear about the best opportunities. And so they and the the tech world is very small, um, as I'm sure you know. So it, it work can get around fast, even though you're not supposed to say anything. Um, so there was that value on the on the on the candidate side to not be exposed. But then on the um, on the company side, you're also evaluating based on these outputs or um, you know the the profile itself, instead of being able to really closely associate a person with, you know, their gender or race or photos or any of that. So I actually think on both sides of the equation, it was a really positive, um, positive outcome for, for that. And an, there you go. Anonymity. I, I jinxed it. I'm, I'm, it's, it's the <laughs> word. It's not us. <laughs> um, but I think it really benefited both the candidate, the potential candidates and the companies because they the candidates weren't exposed when they didn't want to be um mm -hmm. and someone had to reach out to them because of their background or something that stood out to them and they had to write a really compelling message that was like about their experience which is not like the easiest thing to do or it's not that always easy to be super compelling <laughs> um especially when you don't have personal you know a lot of personal details so that was i think of interest on the candidate side now on the company side it's always better the more you can, you know, remove the personal identity factors to give an unbiased look at, um, you know, the candidate them themselves instead of relying on factors that don't play a role in, in job performance. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, that, that came up a bunch of times because I had heard of people struggling early on in my recruitment. Mm -hmm. career and I heard of people struggling with their searches so I would just help people with their resumes and whatnot and then questions of like should I change my name came up and I'm like Ey. like yeah. that's a and that's a sticky one right because kind of going back to you know the the what you mentioned about the GPA where it's like you put it there it makes you cringe that that person wanted to speak to you but if that's the thing that gets your foot in the door to allow you to shine then do you do that right and so i i just didn't like suggesting to people like hey your name's really difficult to pronounce and that's just like scientifically proven that people will lean towards a person's name that they can easily pronounce yeah. that that just immediately becomes super problematic if you go down that route, but then you're just stripping yourself of your identity if you change your name to something more anglicized or whatever, right? Yeah, um, and we shouldn't expect people to to no. do that. And it's it's a tough balance, like you're saying, between between remaining true to who you are and the identity that you want to present versus what is going to get you a job. One of the best things I think about being a recruiter that you can probably attest to as well, is that as a recruiter, you have the opportunity to change that status quo and you have mm -hmm. the opportunity to screen people in 
that maybe another recruiter or a hiring manager would screen out, even unconsciously for those reasons. And one of the things that I've loved most about being in a recruiting, um, having a recruiting career is just being able to help systematically break those barriers because it's up to all of us to um, to do that. But I remember very many times at Google, I was working on women in tech and we had a lot of um, candidates from um, from other places outside of the U.S. And they would come with a resume that had both their given name and their, um, you know, what they called their English name. And they would ask, you know, which I should which I what should I use? And I said, well, what do you what do you want me to 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 call you by? Or what do you want a hiring manager to call you by? Or what do you want an interviewer to call you by? And we would have this dialogue on the phone of like, well, I feel like it's just easier if I go by Danny versus my full given name, but I would really prefer to go by my full given name. I'm like, hmm. well then we should have you go by your full given name yeah. and we should and I'm like I always ask people like am I pronouncing your name right and sometimes they'll be like no it's this and I like keep trying and they're like oh not quite right I'm like okay I'm gonna get it because <laughs> because it's it's not up to you to change your name for me it's up to me to get it right um yeah. so yeah I I love about recruiting that you can systematically change these things if you're really committed to to doing so. And it's it's such a s- small thing in terms of like process if you like lay out the entire candidate experience and yet like <clears throat> how how many times have you seen like awkward scenarios where somebody's name is being mispronounced and you know for a fact yeah. that like that person's experience within the organization is just you know it could be a deal breaker for whether or not a person wants to join an organization or not. One of the one of the things that I've seen floating around the meme verse or whatever it is that like sheds a really good light on sort of the ridiculousness of, you know, people saying, well, that person's name is hard or just like not everybody has watched Game of Thrones. But the fact that people <laughs> right. can that people can say Daenerys Targaryen without flaw and like, yes, it's there and it's easy to consume and like, you know, you're being spoon fed like the pronunciation, but like, don't. If 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 you can say that and you know what I'm talking about, then you can learn someone's name totally. respectably and you can advocate for that person's preference without them having to sacrifice to your point. Like I, I love and that's that's not something that you might even document in sort of like a recruiting playbook, for example. But it, you should right? Just right. Like get the person's name right. And you actually brought it up with me. I'm still going through like. An existential crisis is whether or not I should go with Marty or Martin yeah. because, you know, oh, God forbid, you know, people call me Mark when I go to Starbucks or something like that. But like still like it's it's if that's tricky, like how is it tricky for folks with more complicated totally. names and when it's like a critical point, like a job interview or something like that. So I think that was some really good some some really yeah. good tips you talked about and mentioned. And I definitely wanted to to kind of go down this path was the the your role at google and i know we said we weren't going to talk about you know <laughs> uh, like the past too much but we're going in the direction we're going mm-hmm. and we can slice and dice it however you like but um i would love to just get your take on you know a at an organization that big b what are like for most 
of the folks listening, it's going to be smaller, medium-sized businesses, might not have as big resources, might mm-hmm. not have teams dedicated to initiatives like this. I'm just curious to like hear about your time, how you got into that, what you would recommend for folks listening that want to take some of those practices and just start doing things from day one. Mm-hmm. would love to to hear that. For sure. So I, when I joined Google, I had been laid off for the second time from a smaller company. Um, boo. Boo. Both times on vacation, too. It's like, come on. Can I just boo, catch a double break boo. here? Boo. Yeah, I know, that right? Um, but we, I was actually, when I got laid off from uh, Woo, I was skiing with my mom. My manager's like, I need to talk to you, whatever. I'm like, shit, mom, I'm getting laid off. I knew it immediately. Like, I just had the feeling, you know. Um, and I was like, mom, like, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> um, my mom's a, um, she calls herself a, re- a, um, a recovering executive. She was the CMO <laughs> at a Fortune 500 company. So she's done the business thing a lot, you know, so I, I really trusted her guidance. I was like, what do I do? And she was like, hmm, I don't know. And this doesn't apply these days, but maybe join a bigger company <laughs> that has more resources. That's not going to let you off. I was like, all right, so let me find the biggest company I can find. And uh, that's the direction I'm going to go. So I joined um, Google and yes, there's a lot of resources, but I think the constraint was really, the the positive is that the um, there's a lot of process consistency. And I think mm. that helps a lot when it comes to, and there's a lot to learn from that when it comes to um, outcomes. Um, but then you're constrained by the process too. And as an individual contributor recruiter, it's very hard to to go about changing that process. Um, my biggest learnings and what I would take from from that experience going to um going to other like smaller companies would definitely be consistency because although humans are inherently biased and interviews are biased and kind of at every stage in Google's process, humans are involved. So there's there's that element. But the consistency, you know, is ideally leading to consistent outcomes, right? So I mm. think process consistency, language consistency, preparing all of your candidates the same, like not providing preferential treatment to a candidate because they're a referral or because you like them. You're setting all your candidates up for equal success because ultimately the outcome you want is to hire the right person for the job. Um, the best match for the job and do so in a speed that is 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 reasonable, right? Um, so that was one of my biggest learnings. Um, but yeah, I, I worked on the the diversity staffing team. It was a very awesome experience for me. I loved my peers more than anything. I thought they were some of the most um, intelligent, but also just very empathetic, really in tune people that I've ever worked with. And so I really enjoyed that about it. But working at such a large company just like wasn't a great match for me um, from a personality perspective, I think. I just, Mm. when I joined Google, I was kind of desperate for stability because of my previous experience. But I think then what I started to really miss was not the instability, but the ability to make quick changes, the ability to be more mm-hmm. agile, to wear more hats. And so when I started looking for, um, when I knew I wanted to leave Google and started looking for jobs, I looked for things that were very 
much like in that lane. And I, Mm -hmm. even since, you know, a lot of my friends had unfortunately got laid off, they're like, what's life, life after Google, you know, like whatever. I'm like, it's amazing. You guys like, don't like, don't, don't sleep on the opportunities outside of, of, of these big tech companies, because even though the net impact was larger in some capacity, like I would hire someone to, to Google maps who would work on a feature that was used by a billion users. Like, wow. Oh my gosh. Like Hmm. that's wild. Right. But you don't feel that personally as much as you feel that personally when I'm working for a company like Ashby, where I'm in the community, I'm seeing my impact day to day. And it's a lot more clear from that side. So it's an interesting juxtaposition of like, what's interesting to you, what's most important to you and what Mm -hmm. jives best with your personality. For me, that's um, startups. But I do think there's a lot to learn with the process consistency of a larger company and how you can bring some, but not all of that um, to a smaller company, especially when it comes to um, just really buttoned up processes. Yeah. So making sure things are consistent and uh, uniform so that everybody gets like an equal experience and kind of reiterating to hiring managers that might go rogue on a process or something like that, that like, it's great, love your ambition so-and-so, but like this actually needs to happen. Otherwise, it's not fair for everybody else kind of deals. Like, Yeah, that was kind of the nice thing. It was it was very difficult for hiring managers to go rogue in a lot of the organizations and a lot of the product areas at Google. Whereas, you know, you're at a startup and like you're you you come in as a recruiter and you're like, oh, no, this whole thing is rogue. Like <laughs> everything is rogue. <laughs> everything is everything rogue. Is rogue. No, it's just a rogue. Yeah, it's a complete rogue experience. Um, so very, very different. But all of that is fixable with um, trust, time and effort, I think. Tr- trust, time yeah. and effort. OK. Yeah. I think we nailed the like episode title or theme at the very least everything is rogue and how to everything is how to, rogue yeah everything is rogue and how to fix that um yeah. i've i've got an ignorant question here and i think there's a different dynamic to way how like canada approaches diversity hiring versus mm-hmm. the us because in the us even in your application forms there's l- much larger statements about equal opportunity employment you identify yourself if you want as a candidate, um, whereas that's not necessarily a practice that's been adopted in Canada and even in other countries, just in general. So I guess I'm there's this there's a balance between. I'm just curious to get your take on this because I think mm-hmm. a lot of small tech recruiters and people ops folks that wear tech recruiting hats or recruiting hats. Period. There's this balance between. Like, first, your organization needs to be welcoming. Like, the the idea of just, okay, I'm a person that believes that this is important. I see the value. I see the disparity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be an individual champion. I'm going to go rogue on the organization that doesn't care as much about this. And I'm going to take action on it. Um but if you do that on your own and the organization as a whole isn't necessarily set up to support 
you know, a more diverse team and there needs to be education before you start hiring those mm -hmm. folks and addressing like the staffing problem, so to speak. Um, I'm just curious, like there's this balance between intentionally making positive change as well as like, if that goes off in one direction, then it becomes almost like tokenized hiring. And then that's not fun for anyone. It looks bad on the employer and it's a terrible experience for the employee. So that's always been something that's just kind of like sat in my brain as like a, a, a tricky thing to balance between. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. For sure. There's definitely, I think from a candidate's perspective, um, a fine line between joining an organization and being the change you want to see um, versus knowing that you're set up for success because the organization is already bought in. I always uh, talked about with teams, hire managers at Google, like, which comes first, right? The chicken or the egg? Which comes first? Um, diversity, equity, or inclusion? It's in, And they kind of need to all be wrapped in one because if you are ramping up to hire a lot of people from any, dem any demographic um, in, in the U.S., any protected demographic, because you're trying to make your organization more diverse. The difficulty is if you do all that work, but outcomes for promotion or performance reviews aren't equitable and the inclusivity on the team is shit, then none of, none of that top of the funnel stuff matters. So you <laughs> really have to, if you're a company that's creating a strategy to, to hire um, and make your organization more diverse, you also, in tandem, need to be thinking, how do we make our outcomes more equitable and how do we create an inclusive, inclusive environment for everyone? So it's really like if you take a universal design approach, we're going to build this for everyone. We're going to build our process for everyone. We're going to build our company for everyone, but still be able to acknowledge differences and difference in, in human experience. But when you build for everyone, that's what's going to make your organization like the best and most inclusive, but it all comes down to mindset. And I've had to have a lot of coaching conversations with leaders um, in all organizations at all levels, even frankly, recruiting leaders who didn't quite understand, um, you know, DEI related topics uh, so much, or they were a little bit earlier in their journey about what the best way to go about it is. So you know, we would have hiring managers sometimes say, like, for this role, I really want to hire um, a female engineer. I'm like, well, that's not how it works, actually. Um, what you need to do is you need to create a representative pipeline. And over time, that it, over time, your team should become more diverse just because you hire if, if even if you did hire a female engineer in this role today that that's not diversity. You know, it's it, it takes intention, it takes effort, it takes work. And so I think changing people's mindset of how they go about hiring just in general is really important so that like to your point the the tokenizing doesn't happen because mm -hmm. that sets no one up for success. If the individual believes that they were hired for for that reason or the team believes they were hired for for that reason and not because of why they really were hired, their capacity to to do the job. No one is set up for success. And then you have massive amounts of turnover. And so changing 
the thought process of of the company is is a really important um, piece, and that especially comes to the main stakeholders when you're hiring, hiring managers, directors, and executive leadership. And so getting mm-hmm. them on board with this mindset change is is a really critical piece there. Yeah, it's almost as though in that moment when the hiring manager says the thing that maybe is coming from a good place, in theory, that's the opportunity to sort of open the door like, cool story, by the way, this is a much bigger much bigger initiative that we have to like factor in. And it's almost like, you know, engineering is like notorious for being like lopsided when it comes to diversity. And it almost by the same, in almost by the same way, it's like if I went to an engineering team and I was just like, oh, just build in this feature. It's super easy. I'm like, yeah, but no, like this thing calls this part of the back end and this thing, like it's all interconnected behind the scenes and just, you know, making this one simple change to this one particular part of the product that we're building isn't just as easy as like, cool, we're going to like, yeah, build the, we'll make it look like it's there. Like that doesn't work like that. So, um, yeah, there's, this is, I, I won't say it's controversial, but people have very different perspectives on how to manage these conversations. Some people take, um, understandably, a little bit more like firm and in um in a you're gonna meet us where where we need to be um kind of stance for me i try to really balance that with the, the reality of the situation with i'm gonna try to meet you a little bit where you're at because if i try if you're if you're starting at a and i'm starting at a plus 10 and I expect you to be at A plus 10, I'm just going to be dragging you along the journey the whole time. And the outcome, the outcomes of that are, in my experience, not great because the person hasn't learned, they're not aware, they haven't grown. They're mm-hmm. being handed what to do, not understanding the why. And so meeting people where they're at from A and giving them the opportunity to get to A plus 10 is in my opinion, really important. Otherwise, you're just going to get constant, constant pushback of like, well, I don't want it. There's common like myths slash responses from from high managers like, well, I don't want to lower the bar. Myth, let me tell you why. Like, I don't want it to take longer. Myth, let me tell you why. And so like, mm. I think if you can address these concerns and meet them where they're at instead of Yes, you're going to get it probably a lot of ignorant <laughs> questions, but I think getting the giving people the room and opportunity opportunity for growth is really important. And then if that doesn't happen, then that's a completely different story, right? Like they're yeah. not they're not coming to meet you. They're really firm where they're at. That's a completely different thing, but a lot of I feel like a lot of managers and executives don't get the opportunity to to have that awareness phase, which I think is a misstep in the practice of of DEI related things o- overall, because then they're yeah. never really gaining that gaining that knowledge. What I'm hearing and what I'm thinking of as you're saying that is sort of this like 
if you're side by side playing a sport with someone who's been playing it for 10 years or is just naturally gifted at it and all of a sudden it's super intimidating to be like oh I'm on the like triple A soccer team or something like that all of a sudden I need to like and you can barely kick a ball down the field or something like that um that's not a fun experience but if that individual who is really skilled at it and is willing and has the energy and bandwidth to do that work and you know ideally it's someone who's you know self-educated and isn't a member of like a marginalized yeah. community um has done that and then kind of drops down and says cool you're here you're not great at kicking the ball we're going to teach you some fundamentals there that person enjoys that process because they've grown and they've seen seen their own personal improvement versus like okay so and so is just incredible at this and they're just showing off at this point and cool i'm not going to go or if anything is going to turn them off so i I really like that concept of meeting people where they are the but like but not gently you know like it's not like yeah oh we're we're we are meeting you where you're at but we're not necessarily like accommodating your bad habits right we're right. we're trying to move the needle on on these habits and you know it may be what is considered a d- difficult conversation or um you know more firm conversations the point is to not i think people mistake this concept of meeting people where they're at for making people comfortable and the goal mm. isn't for people to be comfortable per point. se because the the topics and the outcomes are oftentimes uncomfortable and so i think just having the preface of like let's get comfortable being uncomfortable and know that that's part of the growth process for anything including diversity equity and inclusion efforts 100% 100% and we're just kind of pivoting here for a bit but um actually no there was one there was one question i wanted to ask kind of from all this look so, so in yeah. your journey at becoming like great at um, building out like diverse, inclusive recruitment practices. Who are some folks that you either modeled like behaviors or lessons after or like influencers or like content that you engaged with that you found to be really helpful as was it? Or was it mostly through just like, you know, I'm curious to know like what what resources would you share? Like, you got to read this book or you got to follow this person on Insta or wherever. Oh my gosh. I follow so many accounts on Instagram. It's like, (laughs) it's kind of wild. Um, One of the books that I think is really important for white people to read is White Fragility. Um, It's really about understanding that your comfort is your comfort is at the expense of a lot of other people's discomfort and and inequitable outcomes and how do you sort of release the defensiveness of the call out to be like this is up to you to change and actually start making change so I found I found that to be very fruitful. Um, Instagram accounts. I just follow. I follow so. I follow so many. It's just I think you have to. And there's different levels of 
um, different levels of takes. And so I think a lot of people tend to start with takes that are a little bit lighter and a little bit like, okay, this is informative. And then it gets mm-hmm. to more like, wow, this is really uncomfortable to know that this is happening and what can I do about it? It can start to feel overwhelming. So I think people should, like, it. it's good if people can ease themselves in and try to pick, like, one focus area that they really want to learn a lot about. And, it, and this is true for um, DEI best practices as well. It's very hard for companies to say, and it's very nebulous to say, right, like, we're going to improve our diversity. It's like not specific enough, right? Like, (laughs) are you looking at race? Are you looking at gender? Are you looking at gender in specific job categories? Are you looking at disability? In the U.S., there's also like veteran status. Like what, what what specifically are you running towards? Because when you give yourself, and it's like a personal thing too. It's like, if you're like, I just want to learn more about diversity. It's like, oh my gosh, now I'm so overwhelmed that I can't even like, I can't consume all of this. So mm-hmm. my um, personal passion area in the diversity space is um, disability awareness and, and inclusion. And so I've done a lot of work in that space and just encouraging people to kind of like, you know, be aware first for their journey. And then then you can start to move into more um, allyship and, and things like that. But don't overconsume to the point where you feel like you can't action it, which is, I feel yeah. like, what a lot of people end up doing. They just are so overwhelmed with the information that they don't know what to do with it. And ultimately, I think the hope of the outcomes after being aware is is action. Um, mm-hmm. So I would not, like, pick one thing and stick to it, but... You can edu- educate yourself bits at a time instead of feeling like you're, you're drinking from a fire hose of like, okay, now I've consumed so much information that I'm overwhelmed and feel like I'm helpless. Yeah, it, it shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be strictly academic, like, cool, they didn't know anything or my knowledge was like this and and now I've read all these books and done all this stuff like there, to your point. Like there, there needs to be action at some point. Like so if you, if it. you look at, if you look at a list of books, you mm. know, it's like, oh, here's like, you, you go on Google and you're like, what book should I read? Some of them are quite advanced for people who are at the very beginning of, of their DEI journey. Um, one example is why are all the black kids sitting together at, in the cafeteria? Um, even the new Jim Crow that one it's so interesting there's so much historical context but Hmm. you have to prepare yourself for that that advanced um literature because it's it's some can be dense and it's very research heavy and so there's you know you read this list of books it's like these books are great and the the fact of the matter is that people get very overwhelmed with the information so i wish that there was more content on like here's like the order in which you could read these books where it would you know bring you along for the journey um in a way that that 
made sense like pathwise. Um, yeah. But getting started anywhere is amazing. And if that's where you choose to start and someone recommended the book, I just always re- recommend having someone to discuss it with because otherwise you're just sitting in your echo chamber with your own thoughts on mm. and what you're taking away instead of what other people are taking away as well. That's fair. No, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, curious. So you're at Ashby. We talked about what I like just from from the first glances and, and from the demos I've seen, like what it's doing. You're, you've been there for a bit. Like you're in this community lead role or you've been in recruitment for you know so long like what's what's most exciting about what you're doing and building out there and maybe just for folks that don't know like just provide a bit of context of what ashby is and does yeah for sure so ashby is an all-in-one recruiting solution um, helping companies all the way from seed to ipo Um, one of the most fascinating things to me when i was looking at companies so how this basically came about is I um, had reached out to, and how I got to Ashby, just for reference, um, I had reached out to um, an old coworker of mine who had, um, shout out to J- JT Haskell, he's at Reddit now, um, but I had reached out to him about his experience at a previous company because they were hiring, just like, hey, are there any red flags? He's like, no, no, I was just ready to move on and, and whatever. He's like, by the way, where else are you interviewing? And so I'm telling him where else I'm interviewing. I tell him I'm interviewing at a competitor to Ashby. And mind you, I've been at Google for three and a half years. Google uses all internal tools. I had no idea what was going on in the external landscape. I hadn't even Mm. thought about it. And he was like, oh my God, no, like this company called Ashby, have you heard of it? I was like, "Mm, haven't heard of it. He's like, oh, I got to introduce you to the CEO like right away. So he introduced me um and obviously the rest is history there with the job but <laughs> when i was playing around in in interviewing i did a um demo where i demonstrated creating reports and dashboards and as i'm doing this demo i'm like i have never seen a recruiting tool do analytics this well and even though companies like google don't use external tools they build everything internally i even thought to myself this is a tool that even Google would benefit from. And that's like mm. a pretty big statement, right? Like in my mind, yeah. I was like, wow, like this is going to be powerful. So so we have, Ashby has two products. One is the all-in-one solution that has the ATS, CRM, scheduling, and amongst many other things. And then analytics is included in that. Then we also have an overlay for analytics that um, via API allows uh, Lever and Greenhouse customers and in moving into other ATSs to use the analytics part of, of our tool. And so there's kind of multiple avenues for, for companies to in, engage with us. But I think, I, I mean, in my opinion, our biggest def- differentiator is definitely the analytics. I've never seen anything like it. It's essentially what you could get with a BI tool, except a recruiter or a recruiting manager or someone that doesn't have a lot of analytics experience could still work within the means of it. It doesn't require coding. Like it requires filter knowledge and things like that. But it's very like I wouldn't consider and I always tell like customers that I worked with, like I'm throwing myself under the bus a little bit. 
I never considered myself <laughs> to be like a highly analytical person, like, or in the in the means of like, I don't know Excel. I don't know sheets well enough to like create these like massive, massive reports and dashboards. But Ashby, I ramped up on like lickety split. And again, it was my day, you know, my day to day. I was in it all the time. Um, but I would tell customers like, believe me, like if I can do this, like you can do this. It's, <laughs> it, it takes time and, and muscle memory, but but it doesn't require an analyst. And I think that's the really, and, and some of our customers do have analysts and that's also amazing, but it, it doesn't require a business analyst to, to, to do the reporting for you, which I think is um, super valuable. No, that's such a huge pain point, I think, for any recruiter. It's my biggest pain point uh, as a recruitment leader. Um, and the data is so helpful and informative if you can manipulate it easily. And it's like, thankfully, like conversely, I feel as though I'm pretty solid with Excel, but then that kind of turns me into the Excel person or then, you know, or another recruiter needs to tap. And everyone hates to be and, that person. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, cool. You know how to do a VLOOKUP. I'm going to ask you all the other questions, right? Like. It's, right. it's, it's, um, it's a blessing and a curse, I suppose. But the, the fact that a company has finally kind of realized the importance and the value that it brings and like how often, you know, people analytics or recruitment analytics gets baked into quarterly reports, board reports, executive reports, like there's pretty important reports to kind of get right and to not be able to do it easily is so frustrating. So it's good to, good to hear that a company has finally tackled the big, big problem that, that it actually yeah. is or was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we have, and there's so much more to offer than that, but that's in my mind what the biggest, uh, differentiator is. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the hook. And then just wait, there's, you know, a few more awesome things to kind of like yeah, consider. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. In terms of like what you're most excited about in, in your role right now and, and what, what you're seeing, like it's a bananas market right now, obviously in, in a million different ways, but I'm curious to, to, to know like what's the silver lining that you're seeing both in the market and from like what Ashby's doing to address some of that stuff. For sure. So I had worked on our rec ops consultant team for a little bit over a year. Um, so I was working with customers to build dashboards, reports, um, and really helping them optimize their ATS for best um, data and, and reporting outcomes. I've more recently moved to the marketing team um, as our community, community lead, like you had mentioned. And what really excites me the most is, first of all, I'm just like, so hype about recruiting. So I'm just excited to like be still continue, you know, to be ingrained in, in the community. Um, but most importantly, I feel like the recruiting community has not historically had all the support that they really need and deserve and the recognition that they deserve. And so one of, I, I think both from an Ashby standpoint and from this role, we're really hoping to bring one, valuable content to the community that's going to help them 
excel. Um, recruiters are already incredible, um, incredible human beings, and so has have such strong ability to do so many things that we're we're hoping to help them get even even further on that with like really specific tactics to um to get to this you know goal of hiring excellence um but on the other hand you know my personal goal is really to support the community especially with so many folks out of a job right now you know how can we best support the community how can we give them the resources for success and then in the future how can we build a platform um, and inform people outside of the recruiting community? So, you know, like founders, hiring managers, um, leadership on how valuable recruiting is as a practice mm-hmm. and also um, individuals so that when rifts come, it's not like, oh, first thought, lay off the recruiting team. It's like, yeah. no, we're able to, through our platform through Ashby able to demonstrate value um, of the recruiting team, the impact that they've had, and you shouldn't, you know, riff these folks because look at all of the impact. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That yeah, not thought about it that way, but that's a really holistic way of looking at it. So I I think from a community perspective, that's pretty noble. Um. One. Yeah. I mean, no one is, let's be honest, no one is um, completely able to be unimpacted by hmm. layoffs. Like, yeah. Even look at some of the larger companies, they're laying off, you know, generative AI engineers, which is like, that's such a hot thing right now. So no one is free from um, or can completely escape it. But I think the more that we can help help companies and leadership particularly see the value of recruiting and that's like of course through a lot of data stuff too um the better off they'll be when there is an economic downturn Hmm. yeah now the um one of my next guests um is actually gonna like as i as i went around kind of telling people that i was you know impacted by a riff and i was seeing that everybody i was having individual conversations with were also sadly telling me like, oh, you know, by the way, I was going to use this conversation to tell you that I got impacted too. And it, it's not right. a, necessarily a fun time. So like the fact that companies out there are like, hey, we're going to, how can we help? One of the, one of my next guests is going to be kind of talking about how they figured out a way to like essentially repurpose themselves within the organization without yep. like having to do that. And to your point, like if, if Ashby can shine a light on like, well, look at and like the easiest transition or translation of like recruitment skills is to to sales, right? Like, well, if you're hiring for your sales team and you've got you know X number of recruiters that you just don't have, you're slowing down hiring. How quickly can you pivot that person's skills, especially if they're passionate about the company, especially if they're like, especially if it's a, a regrettable loss to the organization if you did part ways yep. with them. How can you pivot that person in your sales team if they're aligned, right? Like that's a simple And it doesn't have some... to be permanent. That's what hundred percent. That's what people miss. I think it's like, oh well, if I move them to the sales team, then they're permanently here. No, no, no. Like you can you can so Google had this concept called bungees, which I think is pertinent here. So like if someone went on in an organization, went on maternity leave or paternity leave or was on some other kind of leave 
or they just needed coverage for a short amount of time, you would come onto that project with basically guarantee that you'll get your other job back once you are completed with that project or the timeline is over. Now, the timeline is a little bit up in the air right now with when hiring is going to really ramp back up. But if you take that philosophy and approach of like, we're going to have you sit on sales for a bit if you want to, if you don't want to, that you know, th- th- that's an option, right? It's not like you mm-hmm. have to do this. It's kind of like either we unfortunately have to release you because we're in a down market. We don't need you on the recruiting team, but we have this opportunity in sales if you, you know, try it for for amount of time and then you know when we need you when we need recruiters back we'll we'll pop you back into recruiting like doesn't have to be a permanent play which i feel like a lot of companies are missing that piece yeah 100% 100% no some really interesting stuff that like you can pull from big organizations and actually there's always that argument like oh Google's so big or you know Amazon's so big you can't adopt it because they've got all these resources but like there's some like what you just described as a solution is relatively actionable for you know small 50 person 100 person tech startup like especially mm-hmm. if you've got open roles like you know the the recruiting sales one is like an obvious one but again it doesn't even have to be limited to like recruitment if there's a role that you know, a person is doing and they just love the organization, like what are some other skills, right? There's, there's tools out there starting yeah. to pop out and been around for a while where it's like, how do you identify a person's skill set? What are the things they want to learn? Maybe somebody wants to go into marketing like you have, right? Like it's, it's, exactly. it's a cool pivot. You get to grow, you get to learn. You might not be like as, you might not hit the ground running in terms of like, oh, this is the best marketing hire we've made and or the best sales hire we've made in the last, you know, six years. But like you're still producing, you're still above an average yep. contributor. And and on top of that, there's like a certain amount of loyalty that a person would give to an organization that says like, hey, we got to cut back, but we see that there might be a fit for you in this department. I love it. It's a super cool concept to bring to the table. So like, thanks for sharing it, Shannon. Yeah. Awesome. Any any final thoughts as we wrap up? Final thoughts. Oh, such a big question. Um <laughs> I <laughs> one thing that I I like to call out for recruiting folks is that um if you are stressed, if you're burnt out, this is honestly for people whether you're um, searching for your next opportunity or you're you're currently working in recruiting, if you feel like emotionally at capacity, like I, I see you, I, I left recruiting as an IC to be recruiting tangential because as a highly um, a highly sensitive person, it was just becoming very hard for me to um, to carry the weight of of candidates. And so now I have the fantastic opportunity of working tangentially to recruiting. So um, especially folks who are looking for their next opportunity, don't count stuff like that out. And I'm always happy to review resumes and um, try to um, for free and, and, and make and help make your resume more marketable for those tangential roles and help you be able to deliver that story um, and that through line because recruiters have so much talent and so much to to give how do we as a community help encourage that and and lift it off for people who do want to try something else so um always happy to 
to help there, but I'm excited for, for the future of, of recruiting. And I have no doubt that all of these folks who are, um, having a, a tough time right now will will land somewhere great and i'm always happy to help do that awesome no uh super informative podcast uh love that that we did this and thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it shannon of course thanks so much marty i appreciate you having me and thanks to the folks listening um for those of you who just randomly clicked on this link and listened to a podcast. We run a community called the People People Group. It's got about 4,000 HR recruitment and operation folks in it across Canada mostly, a little bit of North America, a little bit of Europe everywhere. Uh, really engaged community. And um, yeah, you're, you're, you're able to join by heading over to thepeoplepeoplegroup.com. And for anyone who's like, oh my goodness, I need myself a next level ATS that has reporting and then some, and then some, and then some, and then some, and you're like, oh, I'm seeing, starting to see where, you know, the cracks are starting to show with my old ATS or like hopefully an ATS that, you know, um, you just need to improve, check out, um, Ashby, um, and for all the other links and stuff, we'll, uh, myself and our, Super amazing producer, Krish, will uh, find all those links, curate them on all the various places, and share those with everybody that made it this far. So thanks so much for listening, and see you next time. And that wraps up another episode of From a People Perspective. If you learned something today and want to join an amazing Slack community of talented HR, recruitment, and operations professionals, head on over to thepeoplepeoplegroup.com. On there, you can sign up to join the Slack community or get access to a number of incredible resources we've carefully curated on a bounty of relevant topics like diversity, equity, and inclusion, policies and procedures, and even employment branding. Again, all this can be viewed at thepeoplepeoplegroup.com. It's completely free and pretty awesome. As well, you can find and follow us on both Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, find us at peoplepeoplegrp and on Instagram at the People People Group. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you soon.